Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit. We are now addressed by living Lord through his living word. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare is the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it. I find 45 there. And again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way, and we had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for inviting us into these spaces here this morning, and would you give us your Holy Spirit to understand this, your word. Jesus, we thank you that you were the righteous one who died and rose again for us and for our salvation Lord, bring us closer to the one that we truly need here. Jesus, welcome us by grace. Would we hear? Would we follow? Would we obey? Would we believe? Would we be changed? Father, we need you for this. In Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Complete the idiom. Complete the expression. Don't get mad. Get even. Don't get mad. Get even. Kind of like this, not, not a rocket science or like super esoteric expression, don't get mad, get even. You've been wronged, and then you're mad because you've been wronged. Has that ever happened to you before? You've been wronged, and then you're mad, and you want to get even. You want to try to punch back any way you can. 
And there's a difference a lot of the time between what we say and what we do. So we'll say on the outside, okay, I'm, I'm not really going to do that. I'm not going to physically throw a punch or anything like that. I'm going to keep it together. I'm getting mad, but I'm not going to get even because we shouldn't do that. But in your heart of hearts, isn't that exactly what we want to do in those moments? Who are you mad at? Who are you mad at? could be somebody very close to you. If you're married, it could be your spouse. It could be a family member. It could be a child. It could be a parent. It could be a friend. Who are you mad at? And isn't it the case that we carry this anger around with us our entire lives? When in the past have you made your move? And again, most of us probably haven't like physically attacked but we'll use words, won't we? And probably most typically, in our minds, we will think through and imagine all the ways that we would love to get even with this other person. I'd do this. I'd say that. Maybe we fantasize a little bit about some physical violence. The voodoo doll in our minds, we attack, we attack, we attack, we attack. And for those people that have wronged us and we're really mad at them, when bad things happen in their lives, we celebrate. It's great. They're getting what's coming to them. Who are you mad at? So pretty typically, as we understand the inner workings of our own hearts, don't get mad, get even, that makes a lot of sense. But how does it work? If you've ever gone through that process, don't get mad, get even, do you get any less mad by the end of it, even if you do get even? No, we're still mad. It just makes things worse. There's no healing. There's no health in that. We just stay mad. This is what the Bible says instead. Even though it's all too common for all of us, don't get mad, get even, it's a drumbeat of our hearts when we're wronged, the Bible says instead, when you're mad, be merciful. When you're mad, be merciful. And we're going to be looking at what is admittedly a strange passage here this morning from Genesis chapter 18 as we resume this story. But what I want to drive towards in this sermon is super practical. Will you be merciful? Will you be a forgiving person? And to whom? So two parts for the rest of the sermon here this morning. Let's talk about first what Abraham doesn't do, and then we'll talk about what God does. What Abraham doesn't do, and then what God does. So, because it has been a little while since we've been in the book of Genesis, Clint Jenkin in November preached our last sermon from the book of Genesis. So we're getting back into it. If you go back just previously... There are these men, these angelic beings that have announced the birth of Isaac to Abraham and to Sarah. And we continue now with the men, verse 16, towards the city of Sodom. Then the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And you are forewarned. Next Sunday, we're going to be talking about the infamous story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a really, really tough passage. But we at Liberty Collingswood don't want to just do the cupcakes or the softball passages. We want to get into the hard passages too. Pray for me as I write the sermon this week. 
But basically, the sin going on at Sodom and Gomorrah can be put this way by one of the Bible scholars that I looked at. Sodom's sin is heinous moral and social corruption, an arrogant disregard of elementary human rights, and a cynical insensitivity to the sufferings of others. So we'll reckon with that passage next week. But for this morning, God deliberates first. Okay, there's an outcry coming from Sodom. There's a lot of bad stuff going on there. Should I let Abraham in on it? So there's that deliberative piece. And then also he says, I'm going to go and check it out. Verses 20 and 21. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. But then studdingly, Abraham steps in and negotiates and bargains. God, what if there are some righteous people there? What if, after all, if there are some righteous left in Sodom and Gomorrah, can't you be merciful? So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood still before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 within the city righteous. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare is the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place, the whole place for their sake. And then what comes after that? What seems like a stylized back and forth where Abram says, Okay, 50 righteous? What about 45? God says, I'll be merciful. I'll spare the city. What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? And God says, yes, I will spare the city. I will relent in my anger. I will relent for the sake of the righteous few. And now let's notice what Abraham doesn't do. In all of this negotiation and back and forth, Abraham doesn't say, oh, wait a second. Uh, the people in Sodom, they're, they're not that bad. They're actually quite righteous. There's no evil. There's no bad stuff going on there at all. Abraham does not say that. But I think as I survey kind of the cultural drinking water that we're in, that, that's kind of a thing. Who can say what's good and what's not? Who has a right to say that for anybody else besides yourself? And scholars have talked about how we're moving as a culture from ideas of right and wrong to culture of offense, and standards are relaxed in different ways. There's some problems there. For one, even though on the surface we might think, okay, this is, uh, you, you know, we shouldn't impose our values on anybody else. Nobody can say what's right and what's wrong. That's actually untrue, right? And as I look around, whether it's on the secular right or the secular left, those friends of mine have very, very definite ideas about what's right and what's wrong. But what's scary to me is that those ideas about what's right and wrong, they're, they're not deliberated. There's no moral discourse, or at least less of it. It's just decided by power. Who's in power? Who has the right to say, we do? And when somebody on the left cancels somebody on the right, it's about power and vice versa. I'm tuning into what's happening on college campuses, and both for campuses that tilt progressive and conservative, professors can be removed very, very quickly for not keeping the company line. I know specific stories on both sides where it's just, okay, 
we don't like what you're saying, you've got to go. Professor says, can we have a conversation about it? But then the board says, no, there's too much public pressure. Everybody's mobilizing against us right now. We've got to cut the cord right at this point. Those are all power moves. And understand, too, if we're going to say, okay, there's no right and there's no wrong, who's to say for sure? That's actually a luxury take of privileged people. Right? Tell a Ukrainian right now. Well, there's actually no such thing as right and wrong. Somebody hundreds of years ago kidnapped from West Africa. There's no such thing as right and wrong. Abraham doesn't take that move with the living Lord. And also what Abraham doesn't do, he doesn't take God's place. He doesn't say, hey, is it okay, God, if I make this call instead of you? I'm uncomfortable thinking about a God that has opinions, so... Let me just do it my way. Doesn't do that either. And even though this is very bold and daring on the part of Abraham, he's also pretty humble and deferential the whole time. Like verse 27. Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Or verse 30. Oh, let not the Lord be angry with me, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there, and so on. And also, as we go through this passage, the speeches of Abraham get shorter. So he keeps his place before God. And maybe we can learn from that humble posture. I understand. It's just easier right now to say, well, that, that shouldn't be God's call. And no, let's, let's kind of keep religion or God out of it and, and just make our own decisions. But the reality is it's always somebody's call. It can't not be somebody's call. The question is who? March of History, I've said this before in sermons, is a red herring. If you'll take 10 different scholars around the world and ask those 10 different scholars, where is history going? Those 10 scholars will say 10 different things. I was reading recently, one commentator put it this way. The 10,000-year story of human civilization is mostly the story of things not getting better. Merry Christmas. Diseases not being cured. Freedom's not being extended. Truth's not being transmitted. Technology not delivering on its promises. Progress is our escape from the status quo of suffering, our rejection seat from history. Let's, let's let God call it. And as I talk with some of my secular friends, like, the Bible, really? And I understand the question. And one of the things I'll say back is, you know, when it comes to biblical ethics... It is the most cross-cultural and cross-temporal system of ethics in the history of the world. It's resilient. And have confidence there. And does that mean that we always get the Bible right or that we can be off the hook about interpreting scriptures correctly? No. We have to always keep going back to the scriptures. Of course we do. But notice what Abraham doesn't do. And if that's a little bit of the heady part, what Abraham doesn't do, I want to get practical when we look at what God does. He is merciful. Verse 32. Then he said, O oh, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there, he answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy. God says, I'll relent for the sake of the righteous remnant. I will be merciful. Mercy wins. 
And when God says that, he doesn't compromise his holiness at all. But he says, I'm going to be merciful. He still names evil, names wrong. And understand, if you have been wronged, if you've been wronged, it is named and it is known by God. If you've been wronged, it is named and it is known by God. And mercy is always costly. Mercy is always costly. Japanese author Haruki Murakami put it this way. One heart is not connected to another through harmony alone. They are instead linked deeply through their wounds. Pain linked to pain, fragility to fragility. There is no silence without a cry of grief. No forgiveness without bloodshed. I don't think he's a Christian. Murakami, I've read a couple of his books and some interviews. He's, he, I, I don't know where he is spiritually. But I love the line, no forgiveness without bloodshed. And Jesus died on the cross. And this negotiating down, this search for the righteous, telescopes forward to the very center of the Christian story as we search for the righteous. It's not 50. It's not 45. It's not 40. It's not 30. It's not 20. It's not 10. It's one. Jesus, the righteous one. For while we were still weak, the Apostle Paul says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mercy and forgiveness. If you're a follower of Jesus, must mark you. It must mark you. Mercy and forgiveness is the mark of a Christian, a follower of Jesus. One more time from Paul in the book of Ephesians. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Who are you mad at? Who are you mad at? Instead of living in the gunk and junk of don't get mad, get even, where in your imagination you're beating up, you're beating up, you're beating up, you're beating up, are you able to move towards mercy? You need Jesus for that. You really do. Start with Jesus. And I would say, too, if you're trying to figure out where you are with Christianity, thank you for being here. I'm not sure if there is a good reason to be merciful and forgive other people aside from Jesus. Right? Why would we even do that? But instead, Jesus shows us mercy. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to be mad. To name your pain, but don't stay there. It's okay to be mad, but try super hard not to stay there. Now, are you able to name and concretely work through forgiveness and mercy to people that have wronged you and you really think, maybe this person over here deserved it, this person over here, because this person did this to me, deserves none of it. Are you able to show mercy? It's costly. Come to Jesus, and if you are struggling with things of faith or not sure, don't you want to be a forgiving person? Isn't that what the world needs? 
What about a world marked with more mercy and more forgiveness? It is freeing. And when you try to work towards being merciful and forgiving to people that have wronged you, take the hit and bring it to Jesus. Take the hit and bring it to Jesus. Imagine, for example, something like betrayal. Friend, loved one betrayed you one way or another. What does that look like? Jesus, I'm really hurt. I am really angry. I cannot imagine being any angrier at a human being right now. But Jesus, please reassure me of your grace and mercy and love for me. Thank you that you are the one person that will never betray me, that will never let me go. Jesus, I confess to you that I actually am the one that has betrayed you. Like Peter, I've denied you. I've walked away. I didn't stay up in the Garden of Gethsemane with you. But Jesus, thank you that you forgive me and love me. And you can be honest with God. Lord, I don't feel it. All I feel in my heart right now is anger. But do a work in me to renew my heart towards mercy. And let me suffer through to re-extend. A couple of qualifiers here when it comes to forgiveness and showing mercy. I've heard it said that forgiving somebody is both a principle and a process. You need both of those things. If it's not a process and forgiveness and mercy is just like do it once, one and done, it's like emotionally and psychologically impossible because you're still really angry and, and you need space to be able to process through. But the flip side is if there's no process and you're not in principle convicted that forgiveness and mercy is good, that process is not going to end with mercy and forgiveness towards that other person. It needs to be both. In principle, yes, I should forgive you. Jesus calls me to that. But it's going to take some time. And it's a process. And understand, too, that mercy and forgiveness does not necessarily mean restoration of any and all relationships. It takes two to tango. And if that other person isn't willing to repent, and I've been parts of, like, long, structured restoration processes, sometimes it doesn't happen. And sometimes you shouldn't work towards restoration based on what's happened to the other person. But you can still be withdrawn, yet forgive and be merciful at the same time. Will you be merciful? You might think, I don't want to be a doormat. Why do I have to take the low road? Well, Jesus did. He suffered on the cross for you. Be like Jesus in this way. Ask for Jesus' grace and mercy. And understand, too, when you are a person that moves towards mercy and forgiveness of people that have wronged you, you are exercising your freedom from them. It's actually super empowering to be a person of mercy and forgiveness because you are working and resolving not to let the harm and the harmer continue to exercise power over you. You see that? As long as you're still stuck in the junk, don't get mad, get even. You are still in the thrall of the person that has wronged you. 
that by the grace of Jesus, who is our righteous remnant, we are given an invitation by God to be people of mercy. This week, will you be merciful? Will you be forgiving? And to whom? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.